Well, let's start this morning by going to the Lord in prayer. Now, Father God, we, um, God, as we hear from your word this morning, I pray that you illuminate your word to us, God, that you make it a light to us, that you show us its meaning and its relevance to us today, God, that you use its power to transform us as a people and as a church into the image of Christ. God, I pray that as I uh, preach your word today, God, I pray that I am faithful to the text, God, that I'm faithful to you, Lord Jesus, for your word is powerful. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are going to be looking this morning at Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. We're going to talk about Jesus, the one who has authority to save the nations. And we, we've talked about, uh, last week I said we're going to look at two different healings that Jesus does. We talked about one last week where Jesus healed a leper, and we talked about how Jesus was really uh, revealing his compassion to us and showing that he has compassion to make us clean, even in our most unclean state, ultimately restoring us back to God and, and humanity and to each other d- despite our sin and sometimes how ugly that can w- look. This morning we're going to talk about authority and faith and how all that works out. Now, we live in a very unique and interesting age where a youth authority, I think, is really not understood and really not trusted in many kind of corners of the world, um, especially in the United States, we have uh, those that you know don't see the, the police as authority, for an example, and and they're, they've kind of lost their ability in some areas to to police. We also, I think, as a nation, we don't really understand authority from a biblical sense when Jesus talks about it or the centurion this morning. We don't live under a monarch or a king, right? We don't we don't have that. We don't have someone who tells us if we need to do something and we don't do it, we get, we get put to death. That was something that people lived under for most of all of human history. Most of us, though, we have lived under some form of authority. We've read about it. We've read about bad examples like Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin. We've maybe experienced those who've had authority over us in negative ways. Maybe you've had a, a bad parent or a boss, or a co-worker. And on the flip side of that, you've probably read about and experienced those who've used their authority in a good way. We've, we've had good uh, public servants. We've had good presidents. We've had good bosses, good co-workers. If you served in the military, maybe you had a good military commander. Growing up, I experienced both good and bad authority in my own life. I, I had a, a boss when I, when I was in high school who, who actually was an, an ex-Marine Corps drill sergeant from the Vietnam era. Like, you didn't do anything wrong, or he'd kill you and put you in the cooler, right? <laughs> no, it wasn't quite that bad, but, but his way of motivating, his, his management style was yelling, screaming, cursing, and turning red. That was like, that was like it. And he was actually so harsh. We had a, a gentleman that worked in our department who was just, just ever so slightly mentally handicapped. And he was so mean to him, he gave him a heart attack at work. Like, no joke. Bad authority, right? 
But I've also, like you, have experienced good authority. I had a coach who was a great leader and a great man and a godly man, and he had year after year after year of developing men through his authority and his leadership. This morning, we're going to see in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus address really his authority, what he does with his authority, faith, who he is as the Son of God, and how he chooses to use the authority that has been bestowed on him by God the Father. So let's start off by uh, reading the text this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13, if you'll turn there in your Bibles. So Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13, it says this. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority of soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to one, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. I would have liked to have been here, been around for this, for this moment. We, we see in the Gospel of Matthew, he kind of sets up a, an almost a ministry kind of base, a base of operation in C- Capernaum. So let's set the scene here. We have this. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him appealing, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. So a centurion, he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, one of my servants is paralyzed. Now, we need to understand who this centurion is at first. So my wife found a great picture. She helps me do all these slideshows, by the way, so she probably needs a raise. But. So we have a centurion come. A centurion is a basic, he's the basic military commander in the Roman army. He, he leads, essentially, with 100 men. Centurion, it's where we get century, centipedes, you know, those disgusting little... I don't know what they, those are, but disgusting little things, right? So you have this guy. Uh, he probably wasn't quite that good looking, but a centurion who leads roughly 100 men. And we know from biblical writings that in Capernaum, there was a very, very small military garrison. They, they took some auxiliary troops from the area if they had to kind of squash rebellion. But this guy was probably the military commander in Capernaum. He is the leader of leaders in that area. He's the guy that's leading it all. He's the number one military person. I, I would almost bet money on it. And we get a sense in the Greek, so we have this military commander, 
And this isn't a guy that like operates as like a general. He would lead in the fighting. He was on the front lines. He's a tough guy. And so we get this sense in the Greek that there's an immediate problem and this guy is coming to search out Jesus because his servant is paralyzed. This is amazing to me. So you have a Roman Gentile, the leader in this community, going and looking for Jesus. Well, he won. He has to have heard of Jesus. Maybe he's even interacted with Jesus. Uh, maybe both. He's heard stories and interacted. And his servant becomes paralyzed. And this guy knows Jesus is my best shot to heal my servant in this desperate situation. The centurion has said to him that he comes appealing to Jesus to heal him. There's almost a sense of he's, he's begging Jesus to heal his servant. He's at least earnestly asking, and I would say probably even almost begging. And Jesus answers him and he says this, and he said to him, I will come and heal him. Now, you all know I'm a fan of the ESV version of the Bible. This is what the ESV says, and I think the ESV drops the ball here. I think the, the NIV captures this better. I, I want to get into this a little bit because there's something going on here. There's a little bit of a tension here that the ESV doesn't pick up on. The Greek says this. It says, Kai lege auto ego alethon perdieso alton. Why am I telling you this? Okay. The traditional translation says, I will come and heal him, takes no account into this word ego, which is in the sentence. It's, and it's at the front. It's grammatically unnecessary. And it's unusual when there's already a first person verb. It's giving added emphasis at the front of the sentence. This statement, if it were read like, like word for word, it'd be something like, I will come, I myself, and come heal, cure him. It makes no sense. And I think the ESV misses the ball here in what clearly is a question in response to this man's question. The NIV renders this, shall I come heal him, as a question, which is better. But I think there's even some sarcasm here from Jesus, the way the sentence is laid out. And I think what's going on is something like this. You have the centurion coming, and he's saying, Jesus, will you come heal my servant? And Jesus says, shall I come heal him? Me? You want me to come heal him? There's some irony. There's a question back. There, there's a lot going on here that I think the ESV misses. And I think there's some cultural stuff and religious stuff coloring Jesus' response of, of, shall I come heal him? You see a similar response in Jesus, by the way, to the Gentile woman in Matthew 15 wants Jesus to come heal his daughter. And Jesus basically says, you know, we don't give scraps to the dogs. And she says, yeah, but the dogs get scraps under the table and Jesus loves her faith and heals her daughter from a distance. So what's going on here? Well, this centurion is a Gentile and a Roman commander in the nation and the army that has subjugated the Jewish people and has basically taken over their land and put them in slavery. Not only that, he's not Jewish, he's Roman, and in the law, it was basically for Jesus to go under this man's roof would have made him unclean. So that's the first strike against him. 
Secondly, the Messiah, in the mind of many Jewish leaders at the time, they had turned the idea of the Messiah would only be to ethnic Jews and not the Gentiles. So that's coloring what's going on here. And many even believe that God's kingdom would be made up only of ethnic Jews. This idea is going to be addressed later on, I think, in the dialogue of Jesus. But the centurion gives Jesus an astounding answer to Jesus' question. Will you come heal my servant? And Jesus says, I'm going to do that? The centurion says this. And this only makes sense, I think, if we read this as a question. The centurion says this. Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus says, you want me to come heal this guy? And this is what the centurion says. I'm not worthy, Jesus. I know I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. First, the centurion calls Jesus Lord or Kyrios and then tells him, Jesus, I'm not worthy of you. And And I know that. But I'm desperate. This man knows who Jesus is. He knows who Jesus is. He calls him Lord. He knows that he's not even worthy to be around him or for him to have stepped foot on his property. What a response. No one has responded to Jesus like this so far in the Gospels. Of Matt in the Gospel of Matthew. Then Jesus tells him something even more amazing. He says this. He says, But only say the word and my servant will be healed. This man knows and believes that all Jesus has to do is think or say the word and Jesus can heal the man from a distance. This hasn't happened yet in Jesus' ministry. Jesus just hasn't been saying words and he's been healing people from 10 miles away. He's been laying hands on people and healing them, but he just doesn't say words and people are healed. For him to say this is incredible. There's no precedence for this. He knows Jesus. He believes in Jesus. He understands who Jesus is. The centurion continues his thought of why he knows Jesus can heal from a distance. He says this. He says, For I too am a man under authority. With soldiers under me, I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. This is a man who knows his authority. He is in the military, a well-organized military. He knows it. He has people higher above him who he obeys. He has people who he tells what to do who they obey. He says, go do something and you better do it. He takes commands from those who have authority over him and he better do it and make him, those subordinate to him do it. He says, Jesus, I know you have authority. And I think he really understands the authority of Jesus here. He says, Jesus, I know that you have the authority so much so that you can just say, be healed, and my servant ten miles away, you can heal him with a thought. This man gets it. And what's amazing is he gets it before anyone else gets it. Right now, the disciples are a blundering mess and have no idea what's going on in the book of Matthew. They have no idea who Jesus really truly is. And they're not going to really understand who he is until his resurrection. 
We see at the very end of Matthew, and I think, I wonder if Matthew has this moment in mind, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, now that you kind of know who I am, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. All authority. I think this centurion gets this before pretty much anyone else. The issue comes down to a matter of authority. How much Jesus has, how he will use it. The centurion realizes that Jesus has the authority the question is, is, what will he do with it? Will he heal his Gentile servant? Is his, is his answer of, will I come heal this guy? Is he going to just kind of push him away and say, no way? Well, Jesus likes the centurion's response because he gets it. He says this in verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I like to put myself in these scenes, and maybe it's kind of silly, but I just imagine the disciples and probably some of Jesus' other followers are kind of gathered around. This centurion comes, and he's got his red cape on and his armor, and there's maybe a couple guards with him, and they have this interaction. And Jesus looks over at his disciples who've been following him for a while now, and Jesus goes, this guy, (laughs) he gets it. You guys, not quite so much. I've never found such faith even in Israel. There's not a person in Israel that has the faith of the centurion. This would have astonished his audience listening to this exchange between Jesus and the centurion. So how does Jesus respond to this man's faith and question of authority? He responds in verse 11. Jesus says, I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus responds by taking and stitching together the imagery from two things. He's stitching together the imagery of heaven and the imagery of hell in his response. And we got to do a little bit unpacking here because he's using biblical language and he's also using some kind of Jewish thought and, and thinking on this biblical language at the time. So first, the language of reclining at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is typical Jewish imagery of what heaven looks like. It's also biblical imagery of what heaven is, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And and they get it from scripture. We read from Isaiah chapter 25 earlier. But Isaiah chapter 25, 6 says this. This is where they're getting this imagery from. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. It's a feast. There's this idea of this feast at the end of the age of what's called the eschaton. When, when God's people are going to meet with God, he's going to return, he's going to rescue them, and there's going to be this great celebration of God's people with God in a feast. It sounds great. I want to be there. It's a biblical idea. It's true. But there has been something that's been going on. The Jewish leadership at the time had kind of hijacked some of this. And, and they had said that God is really only going to gather uh, for himself uh, the Jews and not the people throughout the world. We can see in this language that all peoples are going to be a part of this great feast. 
The Jewish leaders have been teaching that really only ethnic Jews are going to be gathered to this feast with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the patriarchs. But Jesus says no in his response. He says, many are going to come from the east and the west, um, nations in other words, from, from all over are going to be coming part of this, this celebration. Gentiles will come into God's kingdom in droves and celebrate this great feast. And then in a great reversal typical of Jesus, he tells us that most of the Jewish leaders will be thrown out using the typical imagery of hell and weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm going to back up here for just a minute. He says, while the sons of the kingdom, that's those the kingdom have been handed to, those offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, will be thrown out into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Typical imagery of hell. Now, some have argued that Jesus is, he's talking about gathering dispersed Jews from the east and the west. I disagree here. Jesus is talking to a Gentile. He's talking about his authority to a Gentile, and he's responding to a Gentile's faith, which he is comparing and contrasting to his faithless people who are not trusting in the Messiah. It is clear in Jesus' response, that his authority, he plans to gather peoples from the nations. Jesus is the one who has authority over all things. He's sovereign over all. He's sovereign over salvation, over the nations. And I think he's, he's hinting at that he's choosing to use his authority to heal all peoples from across the world. The Apostle John writes about this later in the book of Revelation where it's He's kind of using Jesus as the imagery of the tree of life and how he's going to use his fruit to heal the nations. I think this interaction with the centurion is the precursor to what happens in the book of Acts where we see the gospel begin to spread to the ends of the earth through the Spirit of God working through the church. I think this is the precursor of that moment. And the centurion... And to the centurion, Jesus said to, he said to him, he says, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. This is how Jesus ends this interaction. He does heal that servant that very moment from miles away. Jesus uses his authority to make him well, to heal whatever caused him to be paralyzed. And I believe that this is a preview of what Jesus does with his authority to save people throughout the nations by faith. If you remember, I talked about last week how Jesus is being very intentional in how he reveals himself through his interaction and ministry. So what does this mean for us as a church in 2022? We're not centurions. We're not in, in, in Jesus' time 2,000 years ago. Well, it means, I think, a lot to us. First, it says Jesus uses his authority to heal rather than to condemn. Jesus chooses to use his authority to heal rather than to condemn. He could have condemned this centurion. One of the profound truths we learn from the Gospels and Scripture is that Jesus does have all authority. All authority has been given to him by God the Father. And I think we must thank God that he chooses to heal rather than to condemn. Jesus would have been perfectly just in his first coming to wipe out all of humanity because of our sin and rebellion against God. He would have been perfectly just. When, when he did that with, when God did that with, with uh, Noah 
and wiped out all of, the, all of the world with a flood. He was perfectly just. Jesus could have done that. We have rebelled against a holy God. Yet we see in the person of Jesus that that is not how he chooses to use his authority. Jesus chooses to offer healing and restorations to all people who come to him by faith for God's glory. Jesus said the Son of God, he could have come with the sword, but he does not. In this, we see the compassion we mentioned last week, desiring people to come to him by faith. We see a God who is filled with patience and restraint, withholding his wrath. And instead of pouring out his wrath, he comes and he dies on a cross, shedding his blood for man. That all who can experience restoration and forgiveness by faith in Jesus... Jesus doesn't use his authority to destroy. He uses it to heal, giving each and every person the opportunity to do that through faith. Secondly, we see this. Jesus offers healing to all people. The astounding truth that Jesus offers human, humanity a choice to have faith in him, regardless of ethnicity, social status, income level, family name, vocation, wealth. Doesn't matter. Jesus offers forgiveness to all people. Jesus chooses us to use his authority to offer healing to all by faith. Faith in Christ is what matters. The opportunity to trust in Christ by faith is given to everyone. We see in the story that Jesus, he marvels at this Roman centurion's faith as a Gentile, using the opportunity to heal his servant and to tell people what the kingdom of heaven is like, that his arms are open wide and people will come from the east and the west, from around the world, and will gather with him. We see this take shape in the book of Acts. The church is commanded to bring the gospel to the end of the earth for this very reason. Acts is the beginning of the story, and it's still unfolding through us as a church today. This is why it is so important that we support global missions as a church. God is still bringing the gospel to the nations. He's still saving people, and he's using us to do that through supporting missionaries globally. But on top of that, he is also offering healing and, and forgiveness to people locally through faith, calling us to go out and share the reality that no matter where you are at, you can be saved by faith in Jesus. The good news of the gospel is offered to all people. Lastly is this. It's faith which is what matters. It comes on the heels of what I just said. Faith is what matters, and whom you have your faith in is what matters. This is good news for us this morning. This morning I ask you to come to Jesus by faith, trusting that he has the authority to forgive you all of your sins. He's been given the authority by God the Father, and he chooses to use that authority to offer you healing this morning. So come to Jesus and trust in him like the centurion did. Come by faith and put your faith and trust in him. And what he promised you is, you is that you get to partake in that kingdom he was talking about, that great feast that all will get to experience who have faith in Christ. 
That, that imagery of, of reclining at the table with Jesus at the end of the age is a great celebration. A great celebration with God. It's the imagery of heaven. It's the imagery of spending an eternity with God. And I think it does start with a feast. I think when Jesus comes back, he's going to call all of his people. We're going to gather together at a great table and we're going to feast with God. And it is going to be the most glorious experience you have ever experienced. And it's going to be just the beginning. And you're going to have an eternity of an experience like that over and over and over. So come to Christ by faith and trust in his authority. And on the flip side of that, for those of you that do not have faith in Jesus, do not trust in his authority, what he says of the Jews who reject him is also true of you as well. He will cast you out where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth if you do not trust him because you will not be forgiven. You will not have healing. Your sins will not be paid for. He has the authority. So now is the time. Come. Come by faith. Trust in Jesus and experience his goodness. Come, trust in him, looking forward to the great feast at the end of the age. Let us go to God in prayer. Father God, I thank you that you sent Jesus, your son, the son of God, into this world to take on human flesh to be God that comes and dwells among us. God, I thank you that, that Jesus came not with the sword, but with grace, love, mercy. God, I thank you that with all authority, and he has authority over all things, that he does not condemn, but he offers forgiveness, restoration, healing to every person regardless of their past mistakes, regardless of their family name, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of where they've been, regardless of their social standing, he offers forgiveness to each and every person and he has the authority to do it and he's proven it because he died and he was raised again on the third day conquering Satan's sin and death. God, I pray that those folks here that do not know Jesus, that they come and trust him this morning for forgiveness. God, thank you for your love for us. God, may every person leave here this morning just feeling and experiencing the love of Christ. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.